0: The scripture this morning is Matthew eleven twenty five through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Thank you, Michelle, for reading our passage this morning. And as our kids are dismissed to their classes, you can be turning there in your Bibles or devices to Matthew chapter 11. In the classic story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the title character has two opposing personalities or natures. If you've ever read that novella or seen one of the film versions, Dr. Jekyll is a kind and well-respected doctor. But, of course, he has a dark side. And so he develops a serum to help hide this dark side of himself, but instead it transforms him into Mr. Hyde, an evil and violent creature. I guess it also makes him lose his doctoral degree as he goes from doctor to mister in the transformation. (laughs) But the transformation is not only inward but outward as well. As you can see from the poster from the 1931 uh, film version. This is a story that's a study of human nature, the way that we struggle with opposing sides of ourselves, how we contradict within ourselves. This character has made such a mark on popular culture that we might even say uh, someone is a Jekyll and Hyde. If one minute they're kind and the next minute they're acting like a jerk, uh, we might call them a Jekyll and Hyde. Because part of human nature is contradicting behavior and moods, Right? But sometimes we imagine that God is like this too. Now, some, of course, think that the God of the Old Testament, on one hand, is, is angry and wrathful, but the God in the New Testament is quite different, merciful, and kind. Even as Christians, we can struggle to hold these two, what seems like opposing or contradictory sides of God's nature, together. These issues are not just theological, but also very practical, very emotional very personal. We can wonder how God feels about us, right? One minute we maybe feel the love of God toward us. We're convinced that God loves us and loves me personally, but the next we're convinced that God has it out for us. We've fallen out of his favor. We imagine God to be something like those pagan gods who were fickle, who were unpredictable, and so maybe we try to appease God in hopes that we'll stay on his good side. What is God really like what is his posture toward us does his affection does his mercy for us ever diminish can we change it these are really really crucial questions and again not just for our theology not just for our understanding but for how we live every day in our passage this morning jesus confronts these questions directly He not only shows us both judgment and mercy in this one passage, but he pulls back the curtain on his very heart. Jesus, who is one with the Father, said in these verses, this is what my heart is like. This is how I approach sinful and broken people. We continue in our series in Matthew's Gospel as Jesus has been continuing to reveal himself. We've seen opposition toward him growing He, of course, is not meeting everyone's expectations of who Messiah should be. Some have already rejected him, and while he warns of coming judgment on those who refuse his mercy, we'll see that he invites all to come to him and find rest. And this invitation isn't just accepted once when we first come to faith, but it's an invitation we need to continually respond to, to find soul rest in him. But let's pray together as we turn to this passage. Father, we continue in worship now, turning to your word, grateful that you've brought us together for another Sunday of worship and fellowship. We're grateful for your presence here with us. We're trusting your spirit to move in our midst, in our minds, in our hearts, as we turn to this incredible passage of scripture. We pray all these things for the glory of Christ, in his name we pray, amen. Amen. So, look at Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 20. We'll start a bit earlier than the scripture reading we heard. So, if you have it in front of you, Matthew 11, starting in verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. These are some harsh words toward these cities, aren't they? Was Jesus just in a grumpy mood? Did he just wake up on the wrong side of the bed that morning? Why these harsh words toward these cities? Look again at verse 20. These cities were where most of his mighty works had been done. Towns near Jesus' home base. And so they literally had a front row seat to God's unveiling of Messiah. God's breaking into human history with the kingdom. And their response... Meh. Right? So Jesus pronounces judgment on these cities. As verse 20 says, because they did not repent. He compares them to these pagan cities of Tyre and Sidon, which were often prophesied against by the Old Testament prophets for their blatant sin, for their arrogance against God. And Jesus said if they, if even Tyre and Sidon had seen what you all have seen, they would have repented. This is incredible stuff. And if that weren't bad enough, Jesus compares Capernaum to the city of Sodom, a city that's synonymous with evil and was destroyed by God for its wickedness. Jesus says, on judgment day, Sodom will have it easier than you. Why? Because they too, he says, would have repented if they had seen what you have seen. What's Jesus saying? We're more accountable before God the more light we receive. All, of course, stand in need of forgiveness that's found in Christ, but Jesus says a harsher judgment will fall on those who are given all the chances in the world to receive that forgiveness but choose to reject it. These are harsh words, as opposite as you can get from the words that we just heard in the scripture reading, the words that immediately follow. Judgment one minute and then the most gracious words we can imagine the next. We're tempted to come to this passage and think, is this a Jekyll and Hyde situation? What are we dealing with here? Jesus is fully man, but he's also fully God. He doesn't change his mood on a whim, like the gods of Greek mythology. Both sides of this passage represent God's perfect nature. The judgment Jesus speaks of here is not because there are certain people God just feels like being angry at, but no, this is the default position Of human beings because of our sin. Separated from God, without hope, undeserving. This is why Jesus came, to bring forgiveness and life to sinners. He holds this out to all people, but if that forgiveness is rejected, then that person's position is unchanged before God. They've chosen to remain separate from God rather than step into the life that Christ offers. But to those that receive Him, what a different picture. Our focus this morning is going to be more on the few verses that follow, but there's a lot here we have to say something. Jesus' response to his rejection in these cities is to pray this prayer. The wise and understanding here would be the religious leaders, they had the intellect, they had the theology, they should have known better, yet they rejected him. We can have great intellect, we can have incredible amount of knowledge, but we can lack spiritual understanding. Spiritual understanding is a gift from God, Jesus says very clearly here. And God often chooses to give that spiritual understanding to little children or those who are unlearned, those who are insignificant, those who are often overlooked in this world. They're the ones often God delights to open their eyes. And in verse 27, Jesus returns again to this idea of authority, which we've seen is so important in Matthew's gospel. This verse right here, verse 27, is the strongest statement of Jesus' relationship with the Father found anywhere in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. This knowing speaks of intimate relationship that they share as members of the Trinity. Jesus says he alone reveals the spiritual understanding for people to come into relationship with the Father. In John 10, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He alone has the authority to make this incredible invitation that follows. He alone has the ability to reveal the Father to us. So, if we want to know what God is really like deep down, we see it most clearly when we look at Jesus. Paul says in Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In John 14, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. What's Jesus' reply? Whoever has seen me has seen who? The Father. Want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. That's all the more important in a passage like this one where Jesus opens up his heart. Look at verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In all that the scriptures reveal to us about Christ, this passage is unique in that Jesus says, this is my heart. Come to me because at my core, this is who I am, gentle and lowly in heart. We say, wait just a minute. We, we heard the passage that came right before this. Jesus just said some really harsh words in judgment. Is that his heart too? I mean, are we wrong to want to emphasize the mercy over the judgment? Both mercy and judgment are part of his perfect holiness. But where judgment is a necessary response to evil and human sin, in Ezekiel 33, God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. So a just God must be just and will judge the unrepentant. But the desire of his heart is to show mercy to all who will receive it. If you want to see God most clearly, look at Jesus. And when we open up the heart of Jesus, we find compassion. At the risk of repeating myself, I think this is really, really important. Even this passage holds Judgment and mercy together in Christ's character. But the judgment is a holy response to evil, while the mercy is his heart. It's who he is. Why is this so important? Because, as always, our theology impacts our daily life. Many of us struggle with our concept of who God is, who we imagine God to be. We know he's loving and forgiving, yes, but many of us deep down struggle. We feel like God is constantly disappointed with us. We struggle with sin and doubt and complacency of heart, and we feel like we're constantly coming to God asking for forgiveness. Surely God's had enough of us by now, right? Or maybe he reluctantly accepts us because of Jesus' death for us, but that was only a transaction, right? He doesn't actually want to be with me. He really loves his most devoted followers, maybe, but me? No, I need to get my act together, and then maybe I can approach him, and then maybe he'll be ready to welcome me. Can you relate to that at all? Or if shame isn't your thing, maybe it's pride. Maybe you do believe God loves you because you're so faithful. Maybe you're a rule follower, and on the outside, you look like you have it all together. You have a Bible knowledge that impresses others. You serve, you give, people come to you for help and answers and for all that effort, maybe deep down you think God must be pretty impressed. Both sides forget the gospel. Both sides are self-focused instead of Christ-focused because both salvation and sanctification are a gift of grace. Nothing we do can ever reduce his love for us. As J.I. Packer said, there is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is based at every point on his prior knowledge of the worst about me. So on whichever side your heart tends to disbelieve the gospel, whether it's pride or whether it's shame or whether it's something else, hear this invitation from the Savior for you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. In chapter 23, Jesus will say that the Pharisees put heavy burdens on people's shoulders by adding their own endless rules to God's law. He speaks to those here who are exhausted by legalism. Those striving to please God in their own efforts, their own strength. Human religion says do this and that in hopes that God might accept you. So legalism may be implied here, but Jesus' invitation is broader. There are those heavy laden with shame. There are those heavy laden with worry and anxiety, heavy laden with fear, heavy laden with the trials and the difficulties of life. Jesus says, come to me. Jesus says, put your burden down and come to me. And in exchange, he offers rest. He offers relief. And he says, take up my yoke instead. Now, a yoke, as we think of it, we typically think of a yoke on animals, don't we? To harness them together to pull a load. But there's a human yoke as well that Jesus apparently has in mind here that was used to to distribute weight across the shoulders. So in this sense, if you're going to carry the load, if you're going to do the job, a yoke makes things easier, not harder. The Jews often spoke of the yoke of the law that they were very proud to carry. But again, the leaders made this a heavy burden. Jesus says, you can trust that my yoke won't burden you. Why? Because I am gentle and lowly in heart. Gentle speaks of meekness and humility. Lowly is another aspect of humility in that he identifies with the least and the lowest. He is totally accessible to all who come to him. Jesus says, this is my heart, so you can trust me to take my yoke and follow me. This language would have been really familiar to Jewish wisdom tradition. The ancient book of Sirach, the writer invites people to put their necks under wisdom's yoke so that their souls receive instruction and find rest. So Jesus uses that familiar language, but with all authority, he doesn't point to something else, not even to wisdom. He says, look at me. Take my yoke. It's his own yoke. He gives the rest from himself. And this rest of soul comes from Jeremiah 6, where the prophet says, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. So Jesus takes this invitation of Almighty God, of God the Father, and he offers it through his own name. We find rest with the yoke of Christ, verse 30 says, because his burden is easy and light. Have you been tracking with us through Matthew? We might say, wait just a minute here. Didn't Jesus raise the bar? on righteousness even higher than the Pharisees. Didn't Jesus say to follow him we have to take up our cross and follow him to die to self? Does that sound easy or light? So easy here is the word for kind, again, connecting to his very heart, what he's like, the one who gives us the yoke. So he's not saying my yoke has no demands, just that with his yoke, we carry that burden in his strength. We come to Jesus and Jesus gives us himself. So we now gladly carry his burden, this one who is gentle and lowly in heart. With his provision, carrying this load is actually a rest. It's a relief, a deep soul rest. Carry the burden of legalism. Carry the burden of human religion, and you are all on your own. Take Christ's yoke, and you have him. I commend to you the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortlund, if you've ever read it. I believe our women's ministry is going to be reading that book together this summer. That whole book expounds the heart of Christ that we see in these verses. Here's how Ortlund describes this light yoke. I know that text is small, but let me read it. His yoke is kind and his burden is light. That is, his yoke is a non-yoke and his burden is a non-burden. What helium does to a balloon, Jesus' yoke does to his followers. We are buoyed along in life by his endless gentleness and supremely accessible lowliness. He doesn't simply meet us at our place of need. He lives in our place of need. He never tires of sweeping us into his tender embrace. It is his very heart. It is what gets him out of bed in the morning. Is this your picture of who God is, of what he's like, of his posture toward you? If it's not, then our view needs adjustment. We're tempted to believe otherwise when we sin or when we're feeling lonely and discouraged, but this is the gospel reality. This is the heart of Christ for his people. And so we need to realize just how prone we are to drifting away from this core truth ortland goes on he says fallen anxious sinners are limitless in their capacity to perceive reasons for jesus to cast them out can you relate to that listen to this we are factories of fresh resistances to christ's love we are factories of fresh resistances to christ's love We cannot present a reason for Christ to finally close off his heart to his own sheep. No such reason exists. Every human friend has a limit. If we offend enough, if a relationship gets damaged enough, if we betray enough times, we are cast out. The walls go up. With Christ, our sins and weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. Nothing but coming to him is required, first at conversion and a thousand times thereafter, until we are with him upon death. Do you believe this? Do you really believe in your heart that this is the heart of Christ for you? This is what Jesus is saying when he says, here is my heart. If you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, these words are for you. Jesus is inviting you to put down that burden that you've been carrying, your sins and struggles, your own efforts and accomplishments. No matter what your past, Jesus stands ready to welcome you, to receive you, to give you his life. And for us as believers, I hope you've seen that this invitation is not just a one-time thing, because we are factories of fresh resistances to his love. So, what are the ways you are most tempted to resist his love maybe it's that religious pride like the pharisees maybe it's shame that when you fail you run from god in your heart because maybe you think you've so disappointed him that he doesn't want to be with you right now but it's in our failures that christ's heart reaches out to us not in our strength not in our goodness it's when we are weak That he moves closer to us, ready to forgive, ready to give us his grace. Jesus never holds us at arm's length. This is the Savior that took on flesh and died on a cross for us because of our sins and our weaknesses. Not in spite of them, because of them. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when you are at your worst... Christ looks on you with compassion as a parent's heart breaks for a wayward child. Wherever you are right now in this moment, whatever burdens you've taken on, Jesus says, come to me, find rest for your soul. I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's his heart toward you, that's who he is. And so we would do well to spend time meditating on these words, to memorize this passage, this incredible invitation, to ask God to help us take it to heart. This week when you fail and you're tempted to run and hide from God like Adam and Eve in the garden, let the the truth of these words break through those lies that you're tempted to believe about God. Believe the gospel instead and run to Christ. Run to Christ in your brokenness. And as we draw near to Christ, the Spirit transforms us to be more and more into his image, and then our hearts begin to look more and more like this heart. People will see this gentle and lowly heart in us and be attracted to his beauty. People need to see this heart in us now more than ever in this polarized climate. It doesn't matter what we say, it doesn't matter what truth we proclaim or what we stand on, if the compassionate heart of Christ is not reflected in our words and actions at work, at school, on social media, at the dinner table, people won't see Christ in us, period. But we can't manufacture this. We can't have the heart of Christ by trying harder. We first have to see his heart. That the spirit reveals to us we first have to receive this love for ourselves and then we have to come to christ and then we have to come to christ and come to christ and come to christ and when we realize more and more just how deeply we are loved we are free to lay down our other burdens and to find rest in him so how does christ look at you how does christ look at us as a church Sometimes we're tempted in our flesh to believe he's like a Jekyll and Hyde, one minute showing us love, the next minute like Zeus, he wants to zap us with lightning bolts. We believe that because we're factories of fresh resistance to his love. It's that simple. So we need to take him at his word. Jesus tells us in John 6, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Do you believe that? Do you believe that experientially in your heart, day by day? Do you believe that when you sin and fail? If you are his, he will never cast you out. So let's take him at his word. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray together. Our Father, give us faith. Give us this spiritual understanding that Jesus speaks of in this passage to see the heart of Christ for us. We thank you that we are forever secure in that love despite our wayward hearts, despite what we are tempted to believe despite how human relationships often work. And so help us by your spirit to receive his love more deeply, to be freer to lay down our burdens at his feet, and transform us to reflect this gentle and lowly heart of Christ so those around us can see his beauty, can see his love for them too. It's for the glory of Christ, and in his name we pray. Amen.
0: Let us stand.